Welcome into the Friday, January 20, 2023, Market Plus. Elaine Cub is with us. Elaine, I apologize for cutting you off at the end of the show, but how many times have I done that? Well, I go long. I mean, you can... But you normally are extremely tight in what you say, and then I... I and I then sometimes something. I ramble, yeah. Yeah, that's my... Me too. I don't want to ramble on a couple things. We're going to get to several things. One of the things you wanted to talk about before we got here was energy. Mm-hmm. And so our first question... We're going to go from Craig in Minnesota. He wanted to know, Elaine, via Facebook, should a person lock in their fuel needs now or wait? Yes, this is the thing that I am really looking at right now as you're starting to, starting to kind of pencil out what your budget needs to be for planting 2023 crops. So the national average diesel price is like 460 right now, which doesn't sound great. In fact, it's a dollar higher than it was a year ago at this time. So we are still facing all of the inflation and some of the effects of the Russian war and OPEC and yada, yada, yada. Some of that is already still built in there. And, but it has dwindled down, right? Like this is better than it was in the summer. It's so, you know, it's, yeah, it's better. But the concern is, yes, in the next few months, there's almost a consensus among the commodity sector people that that oil prices are going to go up and energy prices are going to go up because you have China coming out of lockdown. You have, you know, not a recession, the potential for a soft landing or whatever the United States, everything's doing okay here. And from a supply side, you have the potential for those Russian sanctions to actually start to bite and their production to go down. United States shale oil, oil is also kind of starting to dwindle and OPEC has claimed that they are going to start cutting production. So from a supply and demand perspective, both oil and energy prices are expected to move higher here in the next month or two. And when there is a consensus, that makes you a little suspicious, right? (laughs) But nevertheless, if you're talking about hedging risks about input costs, yes, I think even at diesel prices where they are now, slightly better than they were, not as good as they were a year ago. But yeah, I think it's a buying opportunity. Higher inputs, though, are tied to some math that somebody was doing at the University of Nebraska about acreage intentions or planting intentions. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's that's the take. These land grant universities put these crop budgets together for for farmers to use, uh, you know, to to make choices about their own planting decisions. They're not really meant to be used by market analysts to to do some second guessing about what the crop acreage is going to be. But I do use them that way. And poor Nebraska, they come out first. The Iowa State University waits until February usually to release their estimates in Illinois and South Dakota and everywhere else. But the Nebraska numbers are out already and they are very alarming. I mean, you're talking $5.30 per bushel as production costs for corn. And that's mostly because of the fertilizer prices that have gone up. I mean, everything has gone up. Land prices have gone up. Labor prices have gone up. Energy prices have gone up. Everything has gone up. But it's really the corn that is concerning in those Nebraska budgets, and it's because of the fertilizer. So do you think, given what you've seen so far, given your outside study, what's our breakdown this year? I mean, I know I asked you right at the end about cotton buying acres. Yeah. Not going to supplant corn or soybeans. Are we to that final 50-50... Well, I mean, yeah, I think at this point it's too early to tell, and here's why. It's because fertilizer prices remain very volatile. I think if you're using today's fertilizer prices or last fall's fertilizer prices, then yes, there would be a bias towards more soybeans or towards anything that doesn't use a lot of fertilizer. However, by the time March and April and May come around, fertilizer prices may be very different. So for folks who didn't lock in fertilizer prices, yeah, it may be the usual 50-50 thing. And for the folks who did lock in fertilizer prices they're going to want to use that fertilizer. Unless they turn around and sell it online. They become resellers. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, let's go to Matthew in Ohio. 
Uh, again, a little more on the energy side, but this one's about nitrogen. He wants to know, what is your advice on unpriced tons of nitrogen? Seems that there has been a nice downtrend in the UAN market lately. Yeah, so prices are coming down. The fertilizer prices have peaked. Nitrogen-based fertilizer prices have peaked. And I suspect that they will continue to come down. The last time we saw fertilizer prices really peak, you know, in 2012, they did come back down for years and years and years. I don't know that it's ever going to go back to 2021 prices ever. Maybe not in this inflationary environment we are, but we've had a relatively mild winter in Europe, which has allowed natural gas prices to come down, production to remain relatively stable, and I think fertilizer prices, are our peak days are behind us. Yeah, there was, uh, I had to cut some of the weather story a little bit for time. Uh, one of the lines I had in there was about uh, no snow in certain parts of Europe. I think Bosnia, no. there's none of the ski runs are open. You oh. know, it's like, but, but Austria had snow. It's like, you know, it's just a global thing. Anyway, uh, AJ on Facebook is asking you about the livestock market as we ran through that. We talked about cattle on feed. He wants to know, do feeders have more downside risk? Should you be going to the next Sept August protection that prices that price over two dollars. Yeah, that's a nice psychological uh, benchmark. There is two dollar calves, and yes, this week absolutely at the sale barns everything was a little bit lackluster, and I think that reflects sort of what we talked about in the main program is the cash cattle market is also kind of lackluster right now and it's just not a great time for things. But as far as getting protection, yes, and I want to highlight the LRP program, the Livestock Risk Protection Federally Subsidized Insurance Program. You know, for two or three dollars a head, you can lock in profitable prices. You can't lock in that $2 price for 2 or $3 a head, but you could lock in a profit for 2 or $3 a head and still leave yourself the upside because I, I don't necessarily think the feeder cattle market is, is going to totally fall out of bed between now and September, but, you know, why not why not get a floor underneath you? A lot of people who've sat in that chair have been saying that same thing about all the, 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 uh, the feeder cattle market. So I guess I just ask, do you get concerned that everybody is saying that about uh, that there can be no loss? There uh, can be no. I'm not, that's I not know, exactly I, yeah. what you're saying, but I mean, no, nobody's real worried about the downside. Yeah, it's just so overwhelmingly bullish the supply situation. Yeah. You know, the drought has just really decimated the the crop, the calf crop, so much. You know, somebody's going to have to pay for these calves. And that's why you feel pretty confident saying that. But, I mean, you're right. Who knows? Yeah. Some black swan, something could happen. Uh, we never know those. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this one is uh, production agriculture, but this one's about more about the, uh, the, the poultry market. Scott in Iowa is asking you, Elaine, can industrial layers expect their profitability through 2023? Well, I don't know about the, the profitability they're experiencing right now. You look at egg prices, obviously, these are higher than they've ever been at the grocery store and wholesale, and things are good if you were selling eggs right now and you still have barns full of, of animals that are able to produce them and you didn't get hit too hard by the, the HBAI. So as long as we don't have another virus scenario and we're able to rebuild that herd, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great industry to be in. But no, I don't suspect that the prices we're seeing today can stick around forever. Egg prices, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, that's just not necessarily sustainable at the grocery store, even though the projection is that even at these prices, the U.S. grocery consumer is still expected to, to eat like 180-some eggs per year. That's not really expected to go down in 2023, even at these prices. It's a fairly inelastic market. Right. All right, uh, great questions from many of you uh, about feeders and old crop, but I want to finish with Jamie in Iowa. Elaine, how tight are grain ending stocks, and how will this affect the market? 
Yeah, in the in the latest January WASDE report, um, soybeans is the one that really you know looks really flashy because the ending stocks to use ratio is four point something percent. And corn ending stocks use ratio is 8.9%. Now, my whole career, I've been told the rule of thumb is that if a market is less than 10% stocks to use ratio, that's tight. That's uncomfortable for the industry. And the end users in the industry are then motivated to lock in prices and buy these commodities to make sure that they will have the supplies that they need. So both of these markets still remain in this you know, tight, bullish supply scenario from an ending stocks perspective. Uh, we do have this record soybean crop coming out of Brazil that will be coming in the next few months. So you look for that to sort of relieve that in a world uh, standpoint. And the corn thing, you know, if we have neutral weather in, in the North America, sometime in 2023, those may start to feel a little better. Okay. Uh, anything else that you wanted to uh, cover today that... I don't know, Paul. We've covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of ground. And I, the only thing I can think... We talked about planting intentions a little bit. And we talked about... Uh, the the last thing on the hog market was about China. The, where do you fall on this debate? I know we kind of covered it on the end of the show, but we had to run out of it real fast. I mean, yes, the COVID lockdown has been tough. The emergence from has been tough. Can the Chinese consumer really drive things? And are they going to look to America? I think you talked about they're going to look back to some of the places that they have before Maybe, yeah. in South America. And what's the U.S.-China relation like? How, how do you see things here as we sit in early 2023, the U.S. and China? Yeah, I mean, South America will always be their preferred origin, um, and not just for political reasons, but just, you know, for the reasons of the quality of the, the soybeans themselves, their, their protein content and so forth. That's one thing. I think the more interesting question is, is how is China going to handle producing more of their own needs in-house? Mm. And if they can have good weather and if they can encourage more domestic agronomic practices that increase yield on their own land, I mean, I think that's the big trend that will change how they come to the export market in the next two, three years. Okay. We'll ask you about that in the next two to three years. Okay. Maybe more, maybe other things. Sounds good. All right, Elaine Cup. thank you so much. Appreciate the time. Thank you. That will do it for Market Plus next week. We are going to look at the role niche meat markets are filling, and we're going to have market analysis with Sean Hackett. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great week.